Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. This week we're going to be carrying on the second week of a, a, a four-part series called Kingdom Keys. We started it last week looking at the kingdom of God and we're going to be looking again today. And I want to say before I start today that this happened last week that I believe that God was speaking through many people here um, uh, to us and we ended up having a bit of time at the end of the worship where God was we were ministering to people. But I want to say that earlier on a, a word came and uh, Rob shared a word earlier on. I want to say that what he said is effectively what I'm about to preach. Uh, he couldn't be any closer. <laughs> and some of the details that he shared in that, in that little word uh, were, were just profound in terms of he doesn't know the detail of what I'm going to be speaking on. So I want to say to you, God is in the business of helping people and restoring them. And he really is here. Okay. You know, we might have the structures, the plans, the messages and everything, but God is orchestrating behind the scenes because he is in the business of restoring and touching lives and speaking into your life. And I'm, I, when these kind of things happen, it makes me realize that how little I am and how out of control I am because he is in control. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you today, I believe God is going to really maybe speak to certain people in here. This is a message for someone. And I also want to say at the end today, I want us to, I want to pray for people at the end today. So be ready because, be ready at the end because I want us to pray for, for people who may be struggling in certain areas. But for now, it's Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at that just in a minute. But to start off week one last week, we looked at what does it mean for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? We talked about these terms that are used many times in the Gospels interchangeably. Uh, the kingdom of heaven or God. And we looked at Matthew chapter 13, 44. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in, in a hidden, hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. We looked last week of Jesus describing the kingdom of God like this. Like it's a, a treasure that's hidden in a field that if someone found it, it's so good that they want to hide it again. And then come back and then buy the whole field. And I was talking last week about the fact that the kingdom of God is not just about salvation, although that is the ultimate. That's what Jesus paid for. But he wants you to be doing something with your salvation, not just looking at it in the field. He wants you to explore the field because there's work to do. Amen. And so I want, us, I want you to look and, and, and imagine that there is more to life in the, when you operate in kingdom culture than just that initial salvation. That was, you were bought for a reason to do something. There is a purpose for you. There's a purpose for you. He also went on to say in the next, in Matthew 16, at 19, we looked at when Jesus was talking to Peter, and he said this, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And last week we looked at the keys of the kingdom. This whole series is looking at what does it mean if you live in under the kingdom culture, not just thinking I'm living under church attendance, but living under the kingdom culture of that you live and breathe kingdom all the time. You are operating in another kingdom. I don't know if you feel like that sometimes. Monday morning might not feel like that when you get to work, that you feel like you're operating in another kingdom. But I've become more and more aware that there is a kingdom available for us and there are keys that Jesus told Peter that he could have. But listen to me, there's one thing he said about those keys. If you notice in that story, Matthew 16, when he talks to him, he, before he offers the keys of the kingdom to him, Peter has recognized a new identity. Peter has recognized that he, he's recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus says, you're no longer the reed, Simon. You are Peter, the rock. So he's just given him this brand new identity. And notice that the only reason he gives him the identity in Matthew 16 is simply because he himself, Peter, has recognized Jesus' identity. He recognizes, you know what, you're not just a man, you are something bigger than that and greater. You are the Son of God, you're the Messiah, you are the one. Jesus says, because this has been revealed to you, not by flesh and blood, it's by the Spirit, 
You try and work out salvation in your own mind, you'll never get it. (laughs) It's a simple message, but it gets so complicated in the human mind. But by his spirit, he revealed it to Peter and immediately says, you're no longer Simon. Simon meaning the reed. If you look at it, the meaning of that name means the reed. He says, you're no longer a reed that sways in the wind, something that's weak. You are now the rock. And in fact, you're going to, on the church is going to be built on that. And I want to encourage you today that God is in the business of giving you a new identity in the kingdom of God. When you operate in the kingdom, you might have a British passport. When we went on holiday recently, boy, I realized the power of the passport. You know, you cannot go on holiday physically. Have you seen these programs on TV before when there's people, they get right to the airport check-in desk and they've got the bags, they've got everything's there. And then they get there and they forgot their passport. And you think, I just wish the person would just let them on. You know, just surely they can, they look English, they look like they live in this country, maybe they they look like they can go, they're fine, but the person will not let them and then they start ringing family up to bring the passport in taxes and the power of this passport that represents the identity of a person, their citizenship is so powerful and so strong, it can stop you from moving around the world. I want to tell you today that you have an identity and you have a passport that you're probably not aware of. And it is from the kingdom of God. There is a key that God gives us. Last week we were looking at the fact that he gives us boundless riches. Ephesians 3. He gives us the hidden mystery. He's revealing the mystery of everything to you. You should be, you should be thankful that God in heaven wants to reveal the mystery of the universe to you. I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not a scientist. We looked at this last week. But what I said is this, is that I don't know the ins and the outs, but by his spirit, it says the Bible says, I think it's in Ecclesiastes, he set eternity in our hearts. There is no scientist that can set eternity in your heart. They can try and do something in your mind about it, but no one can set it in your heart, only the spirit of God. So what I want to encourage you is, is that God has given you in his keys, he's given you boundless riches that come from his kingdom. He's, he's deposited to you and trusted you to have the mystery of the universe set eternity into your hearts. And last week we also looked at, and we finished the last point last week, we looked at the deep love that you cannot You cannot surpass with knowledge. You cannot get around it. It's so vast. It's vaster than the oceans. That God's love for you, you will experience a love that is is just completely beyond what you could ever imagine. We looked at that last week. That when you really operate in the kingdom of God, you'll experience a love that you will never find on planet earth. Between humans. You will never find it. It is only found in God. So last week we looked at these things, but let me tell you, when all these things are not just the end, I believe there's more. God gives you a new identity. He gives you a kingdom passport that represents another kingdom. I want to talk today about identity. Part two is on identity. God's kingdom brings you identity. Recognition of Jesus brings revelation of our true identity, just like it did for Peter. He recognized it. Let's look at Luke 15 today. The story of the prodigal son. Many, many have known this story and read it. Let's look at Luke 15 verse 11. I'm going to break this up in a sense into two scenes that are happening. First scene, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one of the sons said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, verse 17, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here and I'm starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Scene two. But while, still in the same verse, verse 20. But while. In other words, if you've ever seen a TV program that they do and they split the video into two scenes and there's two things going on at the same time. This is it right now. The prodigal son's story. There's two scenes and the screen's just been split on the TV program. And now you can see there is something going on at the same time, not a few years later. At the same time. It says, but while, in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring, a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is him, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his, his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Recognizing our identity is so vital for you to operate in the kingdom of God. The enemy, I believe, one of his greatest uh, victories is that actually you think you're a Christian attending church and doing things every week, but he's stripped you of your identity. He's, he's, He's took away your kingdom passport or your citizenship so that you believe that you don't have a citizenship in heaven, but you're struggling on earth. And the thing he tries to do is, is try and hide that fact from us. So we just try and live our lives of trying to be citizens of something that we're not really. And I want to tell you this morning that every single person in this room, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to God and you've given your life to Jesus and said, I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want to receive this free gift of eternal life. You didn't just get eternal life. You got kingdom representation. You are a citizen of heaven. You might not be there. Tomorrow morning might not feel like it when you get into work and that person who you struggle with at work or things are difficult. It may not feel like you're in it, but I'm telling you, you are living in the kingdom of heaven. One day you'll get, you'll see it fully. You may be feeling like you lack purpose today, like you don't have any real reason to live. You may be feeling today like you don't have that identity that Christ is describing that you can have. But I want to tell you, you can have it and you do have it. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. The new has come. It's so amazing that God would give you this ability to have this new representation and new life. We just read that story in the prodigal son and you look at most Bibles, it breaks that when the chapter headings break up and we know that these are put in uh, to help us where it says the, sometimes the prodigal son, some of the Bibles may describe it differently and they put these in to break up the stories. 
But I want to suggest to you today that I believe, a diff- I want to give it a different title for this message today. Not about the prodigal son, but I want to put it in as the amazing dad. The amazing dad. We look a lot at the prodigal son. We don't really look so much at the other older son. In fact, sometimes we don't like him because he's, he's, he's a bit of a party pooper. He doesn't even want to come and join the party. He's moaning. And, but listen to me. Today, I want to focus on the amazing dad. Because listen to me. When Peter recognized who Jesus was, when he recognized who he was first, that's when he gets his, gets his identity. And so many of us today, we can be a little bit like the older brother. We can be a little bit like the younger brother. And we don't capture and understand the Father's love for us. We don't understand it. It speaks about the love of the Father. Number one today, we are God's children. You may have heard that many times, but I want to remind you today because listen to me. This is again what the enemy likes to destroy in our identity that we are not God's children. He did not go to the cross to buy and purchase servants and slaves. He went to the cross to pay for his children to come back. Until you grasp that, until you understand that he bought you because you're his children. He didn't buy you because he wants a slave and a servant to work for him. And these two boys in this story, all they see themselves is really his slaves and servants. They never capture the father heart of God, the loving father heart of God. They never captured the fact that they can have this all-surpassing love that goes beyond any human relationship. I want to tell you today, That you can have this love. You can experience it if you grasp and understand that you have a father in heaven who loves you so much that he sent his son for you. The enemy doesn't want you to get this. He wants you to think you're a slave and a servant. That you're just operating each week doing the things just because you're trying to please God. And that really he's not a father. You're a servant to him. Listen to me. It's right to be a servant, but when you serve out of love. Don't do it the other way around. You serve out of love. Verse 17, he says this, When he came to his senses, the young man, when this young son came to his senses, he said this, How many... So you imagine him, he's now he's sat in the pig, the pig style thing. He's, he's even tempted to eat the pig food, and they don't even give him pig food. Things have got terrible. He has squandered his wealth. He's had prostitutes. He's, he's been doing everything, pleasing the flesh, doing as much as he wants. So you can imagine, this guy stinks of pig muck. He stinks of drink. He's, he's stenches of sin. He has lived wildly. He's spent up. Now he sits there with nothing. And he looks there and he thinks, he starts to think all of a sudden, wait a minute. My father's servants is people who help him in this big house. They're living a better life than me. They're living a far better life than me. In fact, maybe I could go back and be just a servant. Maybe I could go back and just hang around with those and be that person. I'm not good enough really to be the son anymore. In fact... I actually think that the reason why he left in the first place, took the inheritance, is because he didn't even enjoy his father's relationship then either. So I don't think he ever had the father's relationship. He didn't fully understand it. And it looks like both sons didn't. And so he went, he spends the money, and now all of a sudden he thinks, I just want to go back and have the identity as a slave. And there he is. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm sat here. And I'm starving to death. A slave identity to him seemed a better option. That's how low things had got. But let's look at what the son does. Verse 18, he says this. I'm going to set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and went to his father. Listen to me. I can imagine him sat in the pigsty, looking at the pigs, thinking I could just do with some of this pig food. It looks pretty good. I can imagine him sat there, but I can imagine him thinking about the options, working through the options of how am I going to go back, but also thinking about the best story he's going to tell dad. What can I say as to what I've done wrong? How on earth am I going to let me think of the best way of presenting it? And there he was piecing his story together as he's starving, thinking, how am I going to word this? How many of you have in the past with your mums and dads, you thought, how am I going to word this? How am I going to present this best to them? You know you've done something wrong. Look, I have. And how how do I present this in the best way? And there he was thinking up his story. He rehearses his speech. How can I say it? When I see my dad, I know my heart's going to be going. I know that it's going to be difficult, but I'm just going to have to tell him. But maybe if I hide some of that stuff and then at least I might be able to just be a servant. And he's preparing his speech. Ready. And right there in the pigsty, do you know what he's doing? He's not just preparing a speech. He is preparing to deny his sonship. He's preparing to deny his sonship with his loving father. Establishing a relationship on his terms derived from his failures. That's what he's doing. Our fear of what might happen if we le- we're away from the Father can obscure the Father heart of God. That's what the enemy wants us to do. Drift us off into sin. Drift us off into things that attract us away from the kingdom mentality of the Father heart of God. And, and the further we get away, we find ourselves in the pigsty of life. And we find ourselves in a position where we're, it's, the Father's heart is obscured. You can't see it. So you start to conjure up your own plan and idea of how you're going to live with the Father and serve Him like a slave. And you make up your own Christianity like that. You don't think He is forgiving. Listen, God is merciful. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in love. He's rich in forgiveness. That's what this story is about. He wants you to get to your senses and to turn to him. But remember, there's another scene taking place. There's another scene that's operating at the same time as he sat there in the pigsty. He's trying to think of the story he's going to come up with. And right there and then there's another scene. And he says, while he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion when he set off. He was expecting that he'd have to go up to the house, ring the doorbell, wait. Wait for his dad to come. Shaking at the door. He never ever expected when he was thinking of his story that his father would be running over to him. He never expected it. He was imagining, I imagine when I'm going to press the doorbell and I'm going to have to wait. And you know that time you're waiting and you're scared. He was imagining that scenario. That was part of his plan. The whole waiting and then he opens the door. But he never expected that the father would be running towards him, waiting for him. And I believe that that father for many years that have passed by or the time that have passed by would have been constantly looking for the son to appear. The times when he'd looked. And I tell you, even when he appeared and he'd looked thin and disheveled because he'd been eating nothing, he probably didn't even look like the, the son anymore that had set, he'd sent off. And when he looked over the hills, he probably thought, is that my son? He's not looking too healthy. Is that him or is that somebody else who's visiting the house? And then all of a sudden he recognizes. Listen, all parents recognize their children. He recognizes him. He thinks that he may look a little bit different, but I'm going to run. And he runs to him. That is the representation of the Father in heaven for you. That is the relationship that's on offer. That we need to recognize we are children of God. However distant you feel from God today. However slave-like mentality you feel. He wants to remind you today that you're his children. That he loves you dearly. The son was shaping his identity on his actions. Not his bloodline. His bloodline said that he had a father. Do you understand? He was shaping these things. He was shaping his mentality and identity simply on his own actions. But he never looked at the father. 
in the fact that his bloodline said that whatever you do, I am your father. Listen, whatever you've done today, it does not change the fact that God is your father. Whatever sins you've committed, it does not change the fact, the truth, that you have a father in heaven. You cannot change it. You can't change that identity. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 to 17 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In other words, the Spirit, like we looked at last week, the Spirit is the one that brings revelation of love, mystery. Same Spirit now is the one that tells you you are a son and a daughter. I can tell you as much as I want in six point, seven point messages all about how good God is of a father. But you know, the best thing today is not my message. It's the Spirit of God that will reveal to you in your hearts and your minds that you are children. God takes my words and by His Spirit uses them. And he, He is the one. He is the instigator. It's by the Spirit of God. That it reveals to us that we are sons and daughters. So if you're saying today, I don't understand, I'm I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm not grasping it. Invite the Holy Ghost to come and reveal to you this great key, key to discovery of who you are. That you were bought with a price. We've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba Father, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallelujah. Number two today is this. We are heaven's citizens. We are heaven's citizens as well as children. When we understand our identity, we understand who we belong to. Luke 15, earlier we read this in verse 14. 14, It says, after the young man had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. To operate in God's kingdom, we've got to have this citizenship. We've got to have recognition that we have citizenship of this. Verse 22, the father said to him when he returned, he said, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, not the skinny goat, the fattened calf, bring that in, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Listen to me. He gives him right now. He's saying, son, you've just tried to tell me you're trying to get a word in and I'm not going to let you speak about what you think you are, that you're trying to come back to be a slave. You're trying to come back to be a servant, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Forget all that. Ignore all that. Listen, go and get the stuff out. We need to dress this man because he's in the wrong clothes. He's in the wrong stuff. He's in the wrong uniform. He smells of wine. He smells of pig food. He stinks. Listen, this is not a son. This is a slave. Go and get him the right clothes. The son's there probably thinking, wait a minute, I need to tell him my story. I had it all worked out in the pigsty. I need to tell him my version and, and tell him how sorry. And, and listen, And before he can do anything, he's, he's getting these servants to come and to dress him with a ring, sandals on his feet and this robe. He's there to show, listen, this is the wrong citizenship. I don't know if you noticed this earlier, that even when things got terrible and he'd spent all his money, he says he went off to a distant land and he served someone, a citizen of another place. That man had been, that young man had gone from squandering all his wealth, then set off to a distant land and found, it says, and served the citizen of another distant country. In other words, he'd been serving in the wrong citizenship. 
He'd been serving under the wrong citizenship, the wrong area. The, the, the dad's there saying, this amazing dad is saying, listen, son, you're back. Look what you're wearing these clothes for. Don't even listen. Listen, I want to tell you, I'm going to give you a new robe. I'm going to give you a ring and I'm going to give you sandals. And listen, we're not going to get the skinny goat. We're going to get the big fattened calf. Because this deserves a massive celebration. This is huge. This is amazing. Listen to me. He wants to give him his citizenship identity. Say, listen, you're, a, you're a, my son. You're my son. I'm your father. Listen, we have today dual citizenship. Yes, you're a citizen of this country. I'm not telling you that you're not a citizen of this country. You still need your passport. You still need your papers to tell you who you are a citizen of, of which country you represent. But listen to me, you still have another citizenship. In effect, you have dual citizenship. You've got dual citizenship. When I was at university many years ago, a very close friend of mine lives in California now. He finished off living in California. I lived in Cambridge. And that's, we met, and he was from the South originally. He lived in England all, all his life in Torquay. And uh, for many years, this young man, I, I, I spent a lot of time with him. He now does, his job is to write music for films in, in, in LA. But he, at the time, he always used to tell me this. He was, he had a real problem with gambling. So he'd, he'd spend, he'd take student loans out. And take the student loans to put into machines, to spend his money into machines. And many times, great guy, many times he, he'd tell me, I'm, I'm going to take, and literally I remember one Christmas he'd spent £2,000 in two weeks in a machine. And he used to say to me this, he'd say, Phil, I could tell you, you're going to, he said, I've spent, he'd spent that many years in arcades living on the coast. His, his youth had been brought up like that to understand and know these machines. And he said, actually, it's not about winning anymore. He said, I don't care whether I lose my money. He said, it's not about the losing or the winning anymore. He said, it's the fact that I know the machines better. I know what they're going to do and when they're going to drop. And it's the fact that I have this power to know that when money goes in, he could tell the sound of when money went into machines, when they were about to release money. And it was a fact that he thought he had control. He says, but I'm never the winner. But he spent thousands and thousands. He'd tell me, I've spent another two. He had a problem. He had an addiction to gambling. But listen to me, right at the end of it, he said this to me, he said, but Phil, it's quite bad really, but he said, Phil, he said, I'm not too worried about all my student loans, he says, because I've got dual citizenship. I said, where do you get that? I want this. He said, I'm, I'm a citizen of America and England, because when I was born, I was born in America, and then I moved straight here, so I've got two passports, I can live here or America. And he says, I've read the small print in the student loans, and it says this, if after 10 years, after leaving university, you're in another country, they can't claim the money back. I thought, I don't believe this. I've got to work to pay mine back and you are just going to go and live in LA. There he is today in LA, still with the, probably the government who cannot claim the money back. All of the debt, he says, gets wiped after 10 years. I'm going to tell you something. In your citizenship in heaven, listen to me. Your past is cleared and paid off. Your debts have been paid. You are free. God does not remind you of your past today. He says your history is rewritten. You have a dual citizenship. And in heaven, your debts are paid. You are free to go. You have a different representation now. First of all, what does he give him? He says, I'm going to put upon you, son, the best robe. He doesn't say, go and get one of those nice robes out of the, the wardrobe. You know, the, not my best one, but the, the one that looks quite nice. He says, the best one. He says, go and get the best robe. Bring it out and stick, stick it on him. Because he deserves the best. Listen to me. On that robe that they'd have took off, I can imagine the, the servants would have took his old robe and they'd be thinking, oh my word, this stinks. Where has he been? Pig muck. He smells of wine. What on earth has this man been doing? And the dad's saying, go and stick it in the bin. Go and throw it out. We don't even want that in the house. He's got the best robe now. Listen to me. He gets rid of your past. He will take your robes off that are stained. He will take off the things that you're so guilty of right now that you did even a few hours ago last week. He says, I got the power to throw it in the bin. 
and to put upon you today the best robe of your new identity of the kingdom of God. Because I'm a father who loves you. That's what he does. But sin and pride obscures sometimes. And the enemy tries to keep you away from seeing this so you don't think it's possible to have the robe. But if you repent, if you come to him, ask for his forgiveness, he said every single time, stick the old robe in the bin and get a new one out. There's plenty in my heaven. There's plenty in my storehouses. I've got boundless riches. I've got enough robes to keep putting them back on. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord, said Isaiah. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Second thing he says, he says, get, get a robe. Second thing he says, get a ring. Get a ring and put it on his finger. I, I'm amazed by the fact that the father who has, who has seen his son waste a load of money. Wants to give him now something that he could probably nip down to the pawn shop a little bit later on and sell it. You know, the robe maybe, yeah, you know, maybe just no one wants the robe, the nuts, it, but a little ring like that, he could think, well, I might nip down to the shop and get a bit of money for this. He trusts him to give him a ring, a jewel, Something that has value that you wouldn't think he would. You think he think, well, listen, he's just blown a load of money. He's not trustworthy with money. I'm not going to give him the ring. But he says, no, I'm going to give him a ring now. And I want you to put this on his finger. Listen to me. A ring is not, it's not just a gift. But a ring in those times, it represented wealth. It represented respect and authority. For someone to be wearing that. And his dad, this amazing dad says, listen, I know you don't look like you can do things very well and you're not very well with money and you're not very wise, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you an identity for you to live into and I'm, I'm telling you, you are wise. I'm telling you, you have authority. I'm telling you, you have these things. And he trusts us with these things. I want to tell you today that God wants to give you, you, you might think, I don't think in the things I've done wrong that he can trust me with anything again. But today he says to every single person here, I trust you with my wealth. I'm giving you chance after chance after chance. And even if you fail, I'm still going to give you another ring because you're my son and I'm your father. The boy was still ready to be a slave, sticking the ring on his finger. In fact, he remember in the pigsty, he wanted to be like the servants who were there putting all the robe on him and getting all these things. He wanted to be one of them. That's what he's accepting. Now they're all around him serving him. They're all around him putting these things on. He cannot understand this. Listen, the gospel of forgiveness, it's not, you cannot get your head around it. Finally, he says this to him. He says, well, before the final one, he says, sandals on his feet. I imagine him coming in barefooted, cuts on his feet. He's been in the pigsty. He's been walking maybe barefooted. All these shoes have got pretty much nothing left on them. I've met many people on the streets who literally don't have shoes. The shoes have got holes in. Well, this, I would imagine, on the dusty roads, the stones, his feet would have been in a state. And his dad must have said, clean his feet up, get the best sandals out, stick them on his feet. That's what he wants to do for you. He believes, it was said this morning, and again, I'm repeating this point, but it was said in the word that came this morning, that he wants to give you an identity, it was said, but he, but. But God spoke through Rob this morning and said he wants to give you identity, but he also wants to give you, he wants to say that you're trustworthy for works of service. I think that's what Rob said. To have, to, to keep doing works of service for him. Listen to me, in Ephesians 6.15 talks about the armor of God. One of the things it talks about is this. It says that the shoes that we're given are for the readiness of the gospel of peace. Do you understand? The father says to him, I'm putting shoes on your feet. Because I believe you've got a future. You've got some places to go, son. You're not just going to stay here in my prison and, and do what I told you to do and be a servant. Listen, I'm telling you I'm putting shoes on your feet because you've got places to go and to do great things. 
And the message to you this morning is this. You may not feel like you uh, have a relationship with the Father and you've lost that relationship. You feel like you're worthy to do any works of service for him. But this morning he wants to say, I want to give you the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Because I believe you've got some stuff to do for me. And I, I believe in you, says God. I believe in you. Lastly, the feast. The feast. He says, get the fattened calf out. He says, this son of mine has come back. Look, if you read in Luke 15, verse 17, he says, the only reason, check this out, the only reason the son came back, this is what got him to trigger. It was not because he wanted to apologize to the father. He did not want to come back because he wanted to think about gaining this new relationship with his father and, and seeing what he'd get from his dad. The reason why is he said he was starving to death. The whole reason why he changed his mind, made up the story, is because he was starving. It's amazing what happens when you get hungry. When he got hungry and he was starving, he made a decision, I can't stand this anymore. You know, I've done fast before, but this is above and beyond. I need to go back. And it's actually, it's not because he wanted to, to go back to the father to talk to him about stuff. He was starving. He had a bad motive. His motive was a bit out of order because he really was thinking, I've spent all my dad's money now. Now I'm going to go back and eat his food because I'm starving. Lastly, the feast. The son comes back, but his dad doesn't think, ah, you know, I'm, I know you must be hungry. I know what them hunger pains feel like, son. You can have some of the other things, but he says, I'm going to get the finest food out for you. The best calf we've got is for you. Go and start cooking it. The best one. And even though he comes back with the wrong motives, even though he comes back with a motive, listen, the father always sees our motives. He will see deep into your heart what you're up to. He knows what your motives are. But listen, he will go above and beyond our motives sometimes. And he knows them. But he's forgiving and merciful and gracious. The father didn't judge him. He took the opportunity to lavish grace. I love that. That he took this opportunity not to judge him and say, you're coming back because you're starving. You need a robe. You want some nice clothes. You spent all your money. He says, no, I'm going to take this opportunity to lavish grace, to let him see how much of a father I really am. That he is not a slave. Paul also described that we are citizens of heaven. If you turn to Philippians 3, it should up on the screen. Philippians 3, verse 17 to 20, says this, Join together in following my example, says Paul, brothers and sisters. And just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with my tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. He says that there's people on this earth, their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. Whatever they can fill their stomachs with, whatever they can please their flesh with, that's their God. That's their citizenship. That's all they ex that's all they accept. But this son, just like he found, he found that his God was his stomach. He spent all the money. He now was starving. His God was still his stomach. But then he came back and he went, went back to his dad. And there his father showed him and released to him the love and said, this is who I am. This is who I am. You're a citizen of my household. And I want to tell you today that that's what he's saying to you. You might have gone and looked to other desires, looked to other things that have attracted you away from God. And now you find yourself that you are in the wrong citizenship. You find your identity is just a little bit off course. You found that actually to find pleasure, your God is your own stomach, pleasing flesh rather than the spirit. But I want to tell you today, God says, come back to me. Come back to me and I will reveal to you who I am. And who you are. That you are a true citizen of heaven with a new identity. Finally, number three, we are God's chosen. It was said this morning that sometimes we question whether we are chosen. We question whether we've got a purpose in life. 
We question whether there is any reason for us being here. Are we really chosen or has God made a mistake? There is never a day that goes by that God thinks, ah, I made a mistake on choosing that particular one. When he chooses you to be his children, to bring you into that relationship, he does not make mistakes. Luke 15 verse 29, he said this, the older brother, when he came back, said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. Notice this, that both sons thought they needed to impress the father. They thought that they needed to impress their father for him to like them. They thought that they had a job to do in impressing. The older brother said this. Now listen, when at the right at the beginning of the story, the young one says, can I have my share of the wealth? And he goes, I believe at the same time that they both had a share. In fact, the father says right at the end, he says, all I have is yours. You've been with me all this time. It's all yours. But look, even though this son, this older son was living with him, he still didn't grasp the idea that everything was his. He lost it. He missed the point. The young one missed the point and he goes off. And they both live with this mentality that they have to please their father. The eldest son starts to focus on his younger son. He starts to look at him thinking he's getting all the blessing. And he, his focus is took off the father. He thought his brother was the chosen one. He says, look, you've given him the fattened calf. You've given him the robe. You've given him the ring, the sandals. You've given him all these things. What about me? I wanted to come in and I wanted to do things. And you wouldn't even give me one of your skinny goats. But look what he's got. And he thinks that the, 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 this older son thinks that the younger son's the chosen one. The younger son thinks that I'm not chosen, I'm just a, I'm a slave. And everyone's got the wrong idea, except dad. Who says, listen, you've been with me all this time. Everything I've got is yours, but you can't see it. Because you're focusing on everyone else. Just look at what's available. <laughs> it's all yours, everything. But you don't see it, son. You've seen yourself as a slave all these years. But I see you as my son. The youngest one didn't feel equal to be a son. He said, I want to be a servant. And I want to go back and I'm happy to have this position with God. I don't feel like a chosen one. Listen, to operate in God's kingdom, to operate successfully in the keys of his kingdom, you have to understand that you are children. You have to understand that you have a father in heaven who loves you. He's there working with you just like he did with Jesus. You have a father in heaven. You're a citizen. And finally that you are chosen. You've got to know that you are chosen. Look, Pete, when, when we looked at Peter at the beginning, Peter recognized Jesus. He failed God many times, didn't he? But even though he failed him, he was still chosen. He was selected. And you are today selected and chosen. Well, I remember when I got saved in 2002 and I came back to the Lord. Not long after, I went with someone not, not so far from here. I went to a meeting and uh, went in this church meeting and there was a prophet there that day. And I remember literally days into my salvation, returning back to God and, and enjoying the fruits of salvation. I remember going out and thinking, I want to get some ministry from the prophet. And I stood there in the line and he come to pray. And I was feeling like I didn't actually feel saved in some senses because I still felt some of the things were attached to me from my past. And I thought, I really want to shake this whole identity. If I want my, I want my new identity. And the prophet came along and he spoke a word to me. And he said to me that day, he says, you, he says, the enemy will not let you walk away again. God will not let you walk away again. He says, and you are going to fool the enemy in the future. Never rem I'll never forget that in 2002. He says, you will fool the enemy. Well, do you know what? My citizenship now is that I'm going to keep on fooling him. I'm going to keep on fooling him to the day I die. 
Because he has an objective to rip and take away people's passports for the kingdom. To tell them that they're not chosen. To take you into a position where you feel like you're worthless. That you have no identity in Christ. And all you are is a slave and a servant. But I'm here to tell you today that I'm in the business for my God to rip the devil's work apart. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And so shall we. We will destroy his works. And you've got to know who you are in Christ. If you don't know who you are, then you're weakened. You are a reed and you're not a rock. You need to be strong knowing who you are. These are the things, the keys of the kingdom that you should know and to operate in. Matthew 13 verse 3, Jesus said we've got to become like children. He said this, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There's so many people today complicating the whole kingdom message, complicating Christianity. Listen, it's so simple. It's so easy that you've got to get like a child to accept it. And I believe it's the same principle. Those young lads in that story of the amazing dad, they never grasped it straight away. They didn't get it straight away. But when they saw themselves, when we see ourselves as kids and dad's kids, our heavenly dad, you will have a different perspective and then you'll be able to enter into the kingdom. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, I finish with this, says that you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Let me read that again too if you didn't capture it. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. How much more do you want? Come on. How much more do you want? Do you know this is available? This is available to you. But he says this. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you all that stuff. He says, I'm going to give you all that stuff and I'm going to put some sandals on your feet so you can go and do something about it. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, I'm giving you all these things. I'm giving you the royal, the royalty by giving you the robe and the ring. You're my special possession because I'm going to kill the fat and calf for you. You're everything to me. But there's a reason for it so that you can go on, explore the field and declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Chosen ones, I've put here, have a purpose. And we are ambassadors of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, We would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.